He is risen. Just like he said he would. Why don't you stand and join us in worship this morning?
Death has lost his grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Praise the Lord.
Lord, we thank you for this beautiful venue to lift up our eyes into the hills from which cometh our help, Lord. Thank you so much for our church providing this lovely place. Lord, we praise you and thank you for conquering sin, death, and the grave, all because you love each and every one of us. Thank you for facing public nakedness as you hung on the cross for facing rejection and cursing and unbelief. Thank you for enduring the hot sun and insects crawling all over your body and blood spewing forth from your wounds. And thank you for facing a horrible criminal's death, all for the love of each and every one of us. Thank you for being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus that three days after your death on the cross, you surprised all who disbelieved you, all who hated you, and all who despitefully used you. And you arose from the dead. Woo! Jesus stepped into the Easter sunrise with a smile, and he had one question for Satan. How do you like me now? Oh, and just as Jesus Christ rose from the grave and went to the Father's side, we too who have put our faith in Jesus will arise from the grave and go to be with him. Thank you, Jesus, for opening the gates of heaven and the door to eternal life for all who would believe in you. Church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that God makes all things new. He has given us same resurrection power to live free from sin and death and to have a life fully alive. While it's easy to forget the real meaning of Easter, let's take a moment to put aside the Easter bunny, egg hunts and baskets filled with goodies and remember the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection from the grave. Jesus provided a way the only way for us to be saved from our sin. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Thank you that you are a God who goes before us. Although we do not know what tomorrow or what the future may hold for us, we do know that your word in Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. 
and do not be discouraged. Father God, we thank you for Pastor Tim. Thank you for the many hours he has spent with you this Easter week, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower him today to boldly proclaim the truth of your word. Help us not to be distracted, Lord. May the word of God take deep root in us so Satan will not snatch it away. We bless your name, Lord. We glorify your name. And we thank you for hearing our prayers and answering them according to your perfect will. In the precious name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus, amen and amen. Amen. He is risen. Amen. Just like he said. Well, I'm going to dismiss the kids to go to kids worship. And this is kindergarten and under going to kids worship. If you'll just head out towards the open area, Miss Rika and the kids volunteers will help get you upstairs. Parents, you should have checked the kids in beforehand. If not, go see Rika right now. But that's kindergarten and under. And thank you guys for being here. Um, it is uh, different. It's a different setting. It's a different location. And thank you for um, being here a little bit ahead of time, getting here early to get parked and get in, all of those sort of things as we know that uh, being at a service off-site creates some challenges. Um, but, but guys, I, I need you to know, I mean, this was not something that um, the, the church leadership just pulled off. This, this required a lot of a lot of different people. So um, between the worship team and the tech team and various volunteers showing up yesterday to get these chairs set up and get this equipment out here, um, this was a team effort. Um, now, I will say, we, we, we will need a little bit more help at the end of the service. So if, uh, if you don't mind, before you, you run off to your, your nice lunches and everything, um, we could use some help just stacking these chairs. And we've got some guys that know where all the chairs go. So just start stacking some chairs, and we'll get those figured out. And, uh, but if we could just have some help stacking the chairs afterwards, that would be huge. And our guys will take care of all the sound equipment, all of that kind of stuff. Um, if you're new, if you're visiting with us, uh, thank you for being here. I mean, it, this is obviously not normal for us. Uh, usually we're in our facility on Doug Gap Road, but we had a, a challenge come up in late November that's put us out of our worship center for four months. And uh, God is good. Um, and Rika, or, and, uh, you know, Rika, Jason, AJ, Ramona, all of us, we've, we've, tried to work together to come up with all of these plans and see what God is doing. And Myra in her prayer said, God, thank you for this facility that the church provided. And guys, we <laughs> didn't do anything. God provided it on his own. And um, just the story of, of getting here, um, we asked for an event tent and we got a venue. And um, it's just such a blessing to be able to be gathered here and have one service um, all together. But if you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. We do, I hope you got a bulletin on your way in. It has some sermon notes. It has the scriptures for today. We also want to invite any of the families with kids. I'll make a note of this. Um, this is a s'more night on our, at our facility between the two buildings. We'd love to have you this Friday. If you look in the bulletin, the date is wrong in the bulletin, but it is right on this card. It's obviously not April 2nd. It is April 22nd. Um, but we'd love to have you um, there for that. Um, and remember, the last thing I'll say is, parents, you're going to be picking up your kids 
upstairs at the end of the service. And so please be sure. And if you didn't walk up with them right now, uh, walk up through that stairwell in that hallway and you will find the kids' classrooms. Go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. As I said, those uh, scriptures are in your bulletin if you don't have a copy of God's Word, but I'd love for you to turn to it in your own copy. But we're going to talk about uh, why we're here, first of all, because here we are on this day that we call Easter, and it's a day that certainly is a Christian celebration, but it holds a significant amount of cultural weight in our culture as well, beyond just being a Christian holiday. So what is it exactly that we're here to celebrate? We, we need to be clear on that, because we live in a society that tends to celebrate Easter. Whether you believe in, in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection or not, you tend to have a, some sense of at least Easter bunnies and, and Easter eggs, if you, even if you don't accept the Christian part of this weekend. But I want us to be very clear about what Easter is for, about what Easter is about. In fact, the word for Easter means east, and it means sunrise. It's because something has come up out of the ground and is arisen. And just like we see the sun rise every morning, so on this Easter Sunday, we recognize the resurrection of Jesus. Guys, it's a special day. But we got to hold two things in tension, because Easter is a special day. And look at this, guys. Look around. You're, you're around people that you've never met before. This is the largest service we've had in a long, long time. And it's a beautiful thing, because Easter is special. It's beautiful. It's a celebration. It's good to do something special and remember it. But the resurrection is far bigger than that, because what we do every single Sunday is we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. The reason we worship on Sunday is that we proclaim the empty grave every single time we gather together. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings weekly, because it's about more than just a, a once-a-year holiday where for a weekend you think about Good Friday and Easter Sunday and all the festivities that come with it. Guys, it's good and right to pay special attention this weekend, but I hope you realize I hope you see that the cross is bigger than one day a year, that the cross requires celebration each and every week, and it requires us to orient our lives around it. But you know, when we talk about things and we make too many assumptions about what we're talking about, we, we get ourselves into trouble. Because I could sit up here and I could tell you all the great things about Easter, and you're going to think, yeah, Jesus, cross, resurrection, we're at church, we need to talk about that. But in your head, there's an element of your understanding of Easter that's not just cross and resurrection, but is, is bunnies and, and eggs and pastels and family events and all those sort of things. You know, I, Jericho, my seven-year-old, is one of the funniest people alive. And Jericho is also one of the most confusing people alive. And y'all pray for, pray for Jericho, because God did not create two human beings that think more differently than myself and Jericho. For, for whatever reason, God, God put us together to challenge both of us in the way we think and the way we process through life. And Jericho and I have had this ongoing disagreement that I finally figured out where it came from just this week. 
Jericho, as we are driving through town, every time, I mean, maybe not every time, but I think every time it's just me and him or every time he's talking about something, we drive by a state farm office, a state farm insurance office. And this is what Jericho says. Hey, I bet they have really good pizza. Now, you tell me if you know where his mind is going right there. But guys, I, I thought the kid was crazy. I thought, I, it doesn't matter how many times I tell him that State Farm is about insurance and there is no pizza there. He just insisted and we defaulted to the same disagreement, car ride after car ride after car. There's multiple State Farm offices around here. And so it's not like just once a week we drive by. I mean, it, it happened multiple times a week. We'd see a state farm. It's like, man, I wonder what their pizza tastes like. And I'm just like, Jericho. And finally yesterday, he's like, Dad, there is a commercial where a state farm guy is delivering pizza. I saw it on TV. And I thought, oh, man, you're right. And I'm, I'm ashamed. I thought my son has lost his mind, and he will not listen to me. And I said, you're right. State Farm has a commercial where there is a person delivering pizza to Jake from State Farm. And I went back, and I had said, Jericho, hey, we, we sent mixed signals on that one. Uh, State Farm sent mixed signals on that one. I totally understand why you think. And listen, State Farm, that's what they're going for, because they know insurance is boring to a seven-year-old. But pizza, that's exciting. So that brand recognition is now built into Jericho's little mind. But guys, I say that to say with Easter, let's be exceptionally clear what we're here for. Uh, gathering with family is beautiful. Ha having a celebration in the spring in beautiful weather, I cannot believe how good the weather is. I thought it was going to rain all week. It's a beautiful time to be in a beautiful setting, to get family pictures, to get all dressed up, and to spend good time together. And you know what? Give your kids some candy. Let them have an Easter egg hunt. That's good and it's beautiful. But right here, right now, we're gathered for the cross and for the resurrection. We're gathered here making a proclamation by our attendance that our lives are being oriented around the empty grave, the empty tomb. That's what we're here to celebrate. And, you know, maybe you walked in here today and maybe you, you were drugged along by, by a friend or a family member. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have doubts. I'm just glad you're here because we're here because we have full confidence that this story is not just some story. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. We believe Jesus was a real human that lived 2,000 years ago and he was not just man, but he was the son of God. And Jesus raised up an incredible movement that around his preaching and teaching and miracles. And people followed him. And people were ready to fight to the death for him. And people were serving him and, and trusting in every word that came from Jesus' mouth. And yet, Jesus willingly gave himself up to be arrested and then taken to the cross to die a humiliating death. But then... Then came Resurrection Sunday. And we're here, we're gathered because we have confidence in that. Because there's eyewitnesses after eyewitnesses that attest to it. In the scriptures today, we're going to read from Luke chapter 23, which was one of four eyewitness accounts 
that are in the scriptures that give the stories of who Jesus was and give the evidence for his resurrection. Scripture says that 500 people saw this man who died after he died and rose again. Uh, History, you'll find it hard to find a historian that doesn't believe that Jesus actually lived, that there was a historical figure named Jesus. You'll find it hard to find a historian that doesn't believe that he died via crucifixion around the time that the New Testament records him dying. But of course, non-believers cannot say he rose from the dead. But guys, there's significant evidence through eyewitness accounts, through the way history changed and shifted, through the number of prophecies that were fulfilled in his life and death that could not have been fulfilled any other way. There is a mountain of evidence to believe it. And and perhaps the greatest evidence is the lives that have been changed. The way history was split in half by the resurrection. We, we change our dating system at the point of re- the resurrection because we recognize that history shifted so significantly because of this one man's life and his death and the fact that hundreds of people saw him after he had risen from the dead and reoriented their lives in complete faithfulness and obedience to him. The world changed because of the resurrection. So yeah, we believe it. And today, we're just going to go through, and we're going to see this chapter that describes Jesus' final hours, and we're going to see how the eyewitnesses were there to witness what Jesus, what was happening with Jesus, but how Jesus was there for the eyewitnesses. They weren't just there to give an account. They were there to have their sins paid for, to have their sins atoned for as well. So we're going to see four, four categories of people Jesus is interacting with at the foot of the cross, the mourners, the criminals, the soldier, and the faithful. Luke chapter 23, verse 27. There followed after Jesus a great multitude of people and the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. When then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it was dry? Okay, I'm just going to level with you. You read that passage and you're like, what in the world is going on there? What is Jesus talking about? about blessed are the barren women? What is Jesus talking about with people wanting mountains to fall on them? What is this green wood and dry wood analogy? After Good Friday, Emmanuel and I were talking, and uh, Emmanuel's our our 17-year-old, and Emmanuel said, "Um, what does this mean? And I said, yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) That's a tough one. And, and I think if, if we put anybody up here just out on the spot, like explain the green wood and dry wood analogy. Guys, this is where scripture can be challenging for us because Jesus speaks in lessons, parables, analogies that don't readily make sense to us. And that's why it's good for us to gather as a body to unpack it together and see what is Jesus communicating here? So let's take a few minutes to see what Jesus is doing and interacting with these mourning women who he calls the daughters of Jerusalem. You see, in that culture, in society, there, were, there was a category of women that were sometimes actually paid to go and weep and mourn at the death of others. 
And even when they weren't paid, they kind of fulfilled that role in society because they knew that death meant grief. And they knew that those who grieved needed somebody to grieve and to mourn and to weep alongside of them. And they saw what Jesus was doing. And if, and if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks to see how this, has brought, how this scripture has brought us to this point in Luke 23, what's happened over the last few weeks in the scriptures is that Jesus has been tried unjustly. A, a criminal was released so that Jesus could be put into, into jail and then taken to the cross to be crucified. And, and before this, Jesus is beaten. Jesus is whipped. There's a crown constructed of thorns that is intentionally made to pierce into the skin on his scalp, and it's, and it's uh, placed on his head as it cuts him. And Jesus is weak, he is beaten, he is exhausted. And as he is carrying his cross through the street, Simon of Cyrene, this man that is on the side of the street, is pulled in by the soldiers, and the soldiers say, he can't die on the street. He's got to get up there to be made a public spectacle of. So Simon of Cyrene, you help him carry the cross. So Simon helped him carry the cross, and then we pick up where we just read. And there's these women gathered around. This was a gruesome scene. It was a terrible scene. It was violent. It was depressing. It was worthy of grief and mourning. And these women were rightfully weeping and mourning. And Jesus says, don't. Jesus says, stop. Don't weep for me. Why? Why would Jesus tell these, these women, don't weep for me? Because he knows that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the purpose of what he's doing. And he knows the reward of what he's doing is not for himself, but for them. So he says, don't weep for me. Don't mourn for me. Weep, mourn for yourselves. Because society is about to turn darker. And in the generation following Jesus' death, in the city of Jerusalem, within the 35 years after Jesus' death, it was violent, it was gruesome. In 70 AD, when Jerusalem was, was destroyed, people died and children died, and young mothers died, and infants died. It was gruesome, it was terrible, it was violent. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you guys, you weepers, you are missing the point. I'm about to die for those who mourn. The scripture says, blessed are those that mourn because they will be comforted. Jesus is there in his death comforting the mourners and saying, no, 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 what you're going to face is going to be worse than what I am enduring right now because I know the purpose. Jesus goes to the cross because of the joy set before him. He goes to the cross because of the, life, the lives that would be purchased through that, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. So let me ask you a question. What did you come in mourning and grieving this morning? Because holidays bring it up. Family times bring it up. Nothing reminds you of a loss you've experienced like a family gathering. And you recognize those that aren't a part of this year's family gathering. Nothing reminds you of the pain of losing a loved one like, like a special, significant season of time like Easter Sunday. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, Jesus died for the mourners. Jesus died for those that, that grieve, for those that weep. And, and maybe it's not a personal loss. Maybe it's what you look out and you see in society as a whole right now because you are depressed every time you turn on the news. 
and you see the evil and the sin and, and the way culture is turning from God and the way society is moving as a whole and you think, God, what are you doing? Where is your hand? Where, where are you working? And, and, and brothers and sisters, I'll tell you right now, look around. Do not tell me God is not at work. Do not tell me that God has no plans and God is not working in his church right now. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter confessed him as the Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter said, the gates of hell will not withstand the expanse of my kingdom, of my church, my gathering, my assembly. And guys, that, that's us he's talking about. He's not just talking about Peter and the first century church. And you read the stories of the book of Acts and you think, man, that was amazing. What would it have been like to be there at Pentecost when thousands came to receive Jesus and follow Jesus in one day? In just a few days, you went from, uh, from tens of believers to thousands of believers. And you think, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be in that stage? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, God is still at work in the church today. And he's still at work in us. And, and the question is not whether he's at work, but whether we are yielding our lives in obedience to him, to be used by him as his ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation that he has given to us. So wherever you're mourning, whatever you're grieving today, Jesus came to die for the mourners. And Jesus came to die for the criminals. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. They came to the place that is called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked. Coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription written over his head on the cross. This is the king of the Jews. That wasn't a compliment. That was an insult. It was a way of mocking him. Verse 39. But one of the criminals who was hanged with him railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no richer story of conversion than this one right here. It's an incredible story. The rulers of the Jews and the rulers of Rome were scoffing at Jesus in verse 35. The soldiers in verse 36 were mocking him. One of the criminals railed at him. And Jesus' response to the scoffing of the rulers, to the soldiers who placed him on the cross, to the Jews who had chanted against him, crucify him, crucify him. His response, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And see, the beauty of what Jesus is saying there is that though 
though the evil seems to be winning, though the evil forces of wickedness and darkness have gotten their way that day, Jesus is calling out to the Creator God, the God of all the universe, the God of all power. Jesus is calling to His Father, saying, forgive them. Because, Father, they do not know what they are doing in mocking me, in beating me, in in placing this crown on my head, in whipping my back, in putting me up on this cross so people will laugh and mock. Father, they don't get it. So, Father, forgive them. Why, how could Jesus do that? Could you do that? That doesn't seem very human, right? And we've said Jesus is human. Jesus is God. But thanks be to God, that's not all Jesus was. Because as, as the Son of God, who inhabited, God, who, who fulfilled God's characteristics and attributes as well, God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was not just fully man, but he was fully God and full of the love of God. Knowing full well, guys, make, make no mistake, I've said it multiple times over the last couple weeks, it was God who poured out his wrath on Jesus, but Jesus went willingly. It, it was the Father and Son in perfect unity going to the cross. God sent his son and the son went willingly. God poured wrath out on the son. God punished the son for the sins of all mankind. And in all of it, the son was willing because he knew it was the way. He knew it was the path for, for Peter who had denied him, for the disciples who didn't know what to do and didn't know what was going on. But it wasn't just the path for them to receive life. It was the path for you and for me to receive life. Jesus went willingly because of us. And all the while he endured mocking after mocking. Ruler scoffed, soldiers mocked, criminal railed. But one criminal, he sticks out. So you have Jesus in the middle cross. You have one guy on the right, you have one guy on the left. Some, some of the gospels call them thieves, specifically call, some call them criminals. These guys, you know from the one source, they deserved what they were getting. In fact, when one is, is mocking Jesus, the other says, man, what are you talking about? We deserve this. Do you not fear God? We're dying too. Why are you making fun of him for dying? We're dying too. And do you not get it? We deserve it. And this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And it's... If you could zoom in on that moment in human history where you have two sinners, two criminals, two guys that none of us want to hang out with because they're dangerous, they're not safe, and you have this argument as they're dying publicly in front of these great crowds, and they're arguing over who the guy in the middle is, and one guy thinks he's a fake, thinks it's a scam, and the other guy says, man, you're missing the whole point. You're missing everything. And he sees Jesus. And I mean, he really sees Jesus. He sees Jesus not as a man ha hanging on the cross, but he sees Jesus as the Son of God who is dying a death he did not deserve to die. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. I have no idea who this guy was. 
But that's some really good theology right there. The, the fact that he knew and he connected that Jesus was building a kingdom through dying is like next level theology. The disciples didn't know that. The disciples weren't getting that. The disciples thought he was building a kingdom with swords. That's why Peter, 12 hours before this, had pulled a sword and cut some dude's ear off. Peter thought he knew how kingdom building worked. But the criminal on the cross said, this has got to be part of it, right? Jesus is here to build a kingdom. And Jesus must be building a kingdom by dying on the cross. So Jesus, remember me. And that's why Jesus responds so positively to this guy. Because it's an incredible amount of faith to make the request the way he did it. Jesus said, I, I tell you the truth. Truly I say to you, today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. So Jesus came to die for the mourners. And Jesus came to die for the criminals. Jesus came to die for the soldiers. Verse 44, it was now the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the sun's light faded. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. And as he said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. The, the curtain of the temple was torn in two because there was no use for it anymore. This was a thick curtain. This was the curtain that kept the people from entering into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus was not in the temple of Jerusalem when this happened. Jesus was on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and the temple was in full view of the cross where Jesus was. And as Jesus was breathing his last on the cross, the veil of the, the, the temple was torn in two, meaning that God was saying, God was the one tearing the, the curtain, saying, there is no longer any need for this veil between man and the presence of God. And there is no longer any need for sacrifices to be offered in this temple because that was the last sacrifice. That that just happened... Once and for all, Jesus had his blood shed for the sins of all mankind. And in that moment, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. A quotation from Psalm 31, verse 5. David said it first, Jesus says it on the cross. Why? David said it in a moment of desperation, in a moment of brokenness. David did not literally say it while drawing his last breath the way that Jesus did. Jesus said it drawing his last breath and accomplishing the forgiveness of sins for mankind by drawing his last breath. But Jesus did it to call back to us the uniqueness of his relationship with the Father and the uniqueness of the relationship he achieves for us via our new relationship with the Father. Because as Jesus commits his hands into the Father's spirit, he recognized in his desperation, we recognize that we can pray with him in prayers of desperation, that when we are desperate, we can call out to the Father and the Father answer and the Father gives rest. There's a lot of confusion that happens in these last few chapters of Jesus' life. And there's a lot of times where you can, can get really 
um, focused on the fact that it seems like the Father is not answering Jesus. It seems like the Father is not granting Jesus' request. And so, so what do we do with that relationship? But I, I need you to know here that, that Jesus is dying hours after asking the Father to do it another way, if at all possible. Jesus still, after Guys, after saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus still calls him father with his last breath. So make no mistake, while Jesus was experiencing the wrath of God and the punishment for sin, Jesus' relationship with the father was still there. There was not a complete rupture to this relationship, which is why Jesus is still calling out to the father with his final breath. But then this guy, this guy over centurion, a centurion means he was a commander over a hundred men. He was not a, an innocent bystander. You know, when Simon of Cyrene went to take up the cross, he was just an observer. He was just there. And then he became a participant because the soldiers forced him to participate. And, and then the mourners, the weepers, the daughters of Jerusalem earlier in this chapter, they are, they are just observing, they're mourning, they're weeping. This guy, the centurion, he was an active participant in sending Jesus up that hill to the cross. If he was a centurion, it meant he was a commander over 100 men, and some of those 100 men were the men that beat him, were the men that, that tore his clothes off, were the men that, that fashioned the crown of thorns, were the men that sent him up that hill and hung him on that cross. This centurion wasn't just hanging out watching. He was an active participant in the heinous violence that was happening to Jesus in that moment. Talk about a transformation. He looks, he looks on Jesus as he breathes his last. Certainly, this man was innocent. And this man's story shows up in multiple of the Gospels, and you think, how do they know? How do they know what he said? Let me ask you a question. Use your critical thinking skills. How do you think these that Luke and Matthew and Mark knew what this centurion said? Because he told somebody. And he told somebody because the centurion's life was changed after that. Because he became somebody that had to have been known among the early church. Because if he's going to tell that story to somebody else, he's not telling it to the crowd. It's like the picture is like him saying it just to himself as he's watching and observing this at the cross. And the only way we know this happens 2,000 years later is if that centurion's life was changed so dramatically that he went and told others, hey, I was there, and this is what I said in that moment. This is another life transformed, showing Jesus came to die for the mourners, Jesus came to die for the criminals, and Jesus came to die for those that actively are working against him, the soldier in this passage. And guys, this is where we stop in, this, in the story to make it very clear. At this point in the story, as we move from uh, Luke 48 down, Jesus is dead. He's not in a coma. He's not severely injured. He's not unconscious. He is dead. And for a lot of people, the story of Jesus just ended at that moment. From, from the perception of the, of the crowds, okay, he's gone. That movement that we thought was the messi Messiah, we thought this was the Messianic movement, well, he's dead. So hopefully God sends somebody else. Hopefully there's another answer to this Roman occupation. Hopefully there's another answer for our sin. 
but then we have the faithful. And as the faithful um, observe and, and are witnesses to this, the story starts to change. And some of this is not printed in, in your bulletin because we left some of the scriptures out. But verse 49 says, All who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance and w- watched these things. And then in verse 50, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin. That means he was part of the Jewish Supreme Court. That means he was part of that group that was meeting to discuss whether Jesus was, was going to go before Herod and before Pilate to be tried for blasphemy or not. Joseph of Arimathea was a Jewish leader with a ton of respect in the community. He was also wealthy, but he had his life changed by Jesus. So you know the story probably. Joseph is the guy that then goes and he says, we need to bury this body. Jesus is dead. And Pilate can't believe that Jesus died as soon as he did. But Joseph goes and he rushes to get the body off of the cross and to get it placed in a tomb before the Sabbath starts. So if you think of the events of Easter weekend, you celebrate Good Friday and you celebrate Easter Sunday and you might be wondering, why does nothing happen on Saturday? We call that Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday, because that was as the Jews Jews observed the Passover, and there was nothing done to to the body, to the grave on Saturday. Everything was completed Friday night and then waited for Sunday morning when the women would go to the tomb. So Joseph, the faithful Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, he purchases, he gets the body down to put the body in his own grave. And then chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, meaning the women. They took the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now let's stop right there. And let's just think for a second. We've all heard the story before. We talk about it a lot. We talk about it at least every year. You've heard it probably way more often than that. But guys, this is insane. The the setting of this story is crazy. Put yourself in the shoes of those women. He was dead. He was, they saw him suffering on the cross. They saw, they were a part of Joseph taking that body down and placing it in the tomb. And they had to know where to go on Sunday morning to anoint the body with the spices. And they knew where to go because they had seen the body put in there on Friday night. And as they went on Sunday morning, there is no expectation that they're going to find the grave empty. Because who's going to mess with it on the Passover? Nobody does anything on the Passover. And so when they get there on Sunday morning and there's a huge stone and it's rolled away and they were worried, the other gospels say they were worried about the stone because they knew that this group of women could not move the stone themselves. So they're saying, we hope we can find somebody that can help us move the stone. It was not easily removed. But they got there and the stone was gone and the body was gone. And two men in dazzling apparel, who are they? I, 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 I don't think anyone would ever describe me, a regular old guy, as wearing dazzling apparel. I'm going to assume that Luke is talking about angelic beings here. These are angels, messengers from God, sent to communicate to the women. And he says, and they say, um, what are y'all doing here? 
Why do you, as, as they were frightened, the women were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, verse 5. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? What are you doing here? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, ding, 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 and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But, y'all listen. These words seemed to them an idle tale. Listen, the women didn't expect this to happen. Those ladies that were there to serve the body of Jesus, they didn't expect it to happen. But you know what? They had walked for years with these dudes known as the, as the apostles. And Jesus had told all these apostles way more than, they had, than he had told these women. Uh, at least all of the same revelation they had, they had received. And, and now the disciples are like an idle tale. It means they didn't believe in women. They didn't trust the women. And they, they did not believe them. And Peter rose and ran. One of my favorite parts of the gospel narrative, my favorite part of the resurrection story, is that there were four gospel accounts written. And Luke and Mark both say that Peter runs to the tomb. And the last of the four gospels that was written, and this is bonus material for today because it's in the gospel of John. The last of the four gospels to be written was the gospel of John in which it clarifies it was not just Peter that runs to the tomb. Y'all know the story, right? Because in Mark and Luke, Peter runs to the tomb by himself. And John's like, wait a second. The apostle John is like, what? Peter, what is Peter telling? Because Mark and Luke both use Peter as an eyewitness. And they, and they wrote that Peter ran there. And John's got to be looking at that like, I've got to write my own gospel. <laughs> and go read the account in John. The account in John says, says Peter and another disciple, which John is the author, he always refers to himself as the other disciple, he doesn't have to name himself by name in order to flex on Peter and say, the other disciple outran Peter to the tomb. (laughs) My favorite part about the Gospel of John. So we know that there's a group of women that proclaim what has happened, and then there's a group of men that don't believe him, and at least two of them run to the tomb. And guys, we'll pick that up next week. But we know what happened. We know that the body is gone. We know that Jesus has arisen. And the beauty of of where we get to go next week is next week we get to look at the road to Emmaus where Jesus teaches the entire Old Testament in one conversation on a walk. And that's what we get to do together next week. But as we look at these four different sections here, we see Jesus died for the mourners, Jesus died for the criminals, Jesus died for the soldiers who actively opposed him, And Jesus died for the faithful who had followed him. Even when they had no idea where he was going, they kept on following. And I want you to leave this morning more confident, more confident today than you were when you walked into this place, more confident that the eyewitness accounts scream, Jesus rose from the dead and he is who he says he was. The proof is in the eyewitness accounts. So many people saw him. So many people bore witness. But as much as we recognize the proof, we also have to recognize the power. 
Because the proof is in the eyewitness accounts. That's all, that's all human and that's good. We need proof. But the power, the power is what, where you see that these ordinary people were completely transformed. And they're, they're different after this. Fishermen are made into religious leaders. How does that happen? Because they were miraculously transformed. And these, these guys, that one of the, the crazy things that you always look at with the New Testament is you think, how did these fishermen write so well? Because the power of God transformed them, and they did what God called them to do. And, and God didn't call the equipped into, into his ministry. He equipped the called. He called some fishermen. He showed them what to do, and he said, now go do it. And the world changed because of this handful of people that we just saw. Think about what a motley crew is that we just talked about. We've got a criminal. We've got a soldier who is actively participating in Jesus' death and torture. We've got these women. We've got a group of men that doesn't believe what the women say. And we have this guy that was a part of Joseph of Arimathea. Again, a part of the trial that sentenced Jesus to go talk to, to Pilate and Herod, eventually to be on trial for blasphemy. All of this crew together were the early church. Is that how you would have done it? Is that how you would have picked? But, but the power of God transformed people, split history in half, and created a movement that we still recognize today, and that's why we're gathered. The power of God paid the penalty for every sin committed by the centurion, by the thief on the cross, by the women who saw the empty tomb, by the apostles that didn't believe what the women said, Joseph of Arimathea, the power of God, Jesus dying and letting his blood be shed and God pouring out the wrath of sin on Jesus, all of that served the function, the transaction meant sin was paid for, the penalty was paid, and there was an additional gift given that then all of those people that we just talked about were declared righteous in the sight of God the Father because there was a replacement that happened. Jesus' sin, or Jesus's righteousness was put on the sinners, and the sins of the sinners were put on Jesus. And that exchange, our sin for his righteousness, that's why we're here. That's why we're reconciled to God. And, and if you're here with any sort of question, any sort of doubt, then this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to recognize that you do have sins, and those sins incur a penalty, and sins incur condemnation. And if Jesus hasn't paid for your sin, then you will pay for your sin. And, and the logic of that is really, really simple. And the gospel message, the news we proclaim, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, the news we proclaim is that you don't have to pay the penalty for your own sin because Jesus has already done it. And the offer still stands for every one of you. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite preachers, tells a story about the man on the cross. And he says, uh, can you imagine what it would have been like for the thief on the cross to arrive in heaven? And if anybody would have recognized him, what the question would have been like, what are you doing here? How did you get here? What, what happened? I, I knew you in life, and you were not following Jesus. You were hanging on a cross a little while ago. How did you get here? And the simple answer, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's, you know, when, when, when you're ever asked the question, 
What does it take to get to heaven? What does it take to be right with God? Please, never answer that question in the first person. Never say, well, you know, I'm right with God because I did this, or even because I believe this, or even because I'm this great person. Nothing like that. Don't answer it in the first person. The answer for why you can be right with God, how you can be reconciled to God, is he. He died for my sin. He forgave my sin. He took my penalty upon himself on the cross, and he rose again to new life so that I could be made right with God. So we got one more song to sing. And we're going to sing that with the full realization that he has done this for us. And that's why we sing. And that's why we worship. And if there's any doubt in this room, then it's time to repent of your sin. It's time to give your life to Christ. And as we are singing, give your life to Christ and come find me. I'll be up here. Come and find me. And let's talk about how we can be sure that everyone in here has truly been reconciled to God through the shed blood of Jesus. Let's stand up. Let's worship. He is risen indeed. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all dark won't stop the light from getting through we do do you wish that you could see it all made new it's all creation groaning it is is a new creation coming Is anyone whole? 
Father in heaven, we are gathered this morning to proclaim your word, to recognize that once and for all, the lamb was slain, and all of the penalty for our sins was poured out on him. And the lamb of God was slain, but he was not just the lamb of God. He was also the lion of Judah, who was fierce and conquering and victorious. And this suffering servant, it was your will, it pleased you to allow him to suffer so that he might be raised and be made victorious over all of our enemies. So we proclaim that death has been defeated. Our sins have been paid for. The bondage of slavery to sin is no more for those who are in Christ. And Satan has been defeated. And Father, we just want to be changed by it all. We want to live in response every single day so that we can be your ministers of reconciliation and we get to watch the gates of hell not be able to withstand the expanse of your church. We praise you, Father, for finished atonement and new life with Christ. Amen. Now remain standing. Receive the blessing from the Lord, the blessing that only comes when sin is atoned for and new life is granted. The high priestly prayer from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.